Smartcast. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hold on to your butt. Come on, sucker. Let's get it on. Oh, you want to fight? You want to fight? Now, do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. You don't know anybody named Iris? I don't know nobody named Iris. Can I have a piece of toast? I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Western demands. How could you do this to me? Really, I want to know. Why did you do that? What you feel only matters to you. And the truth shall set you free. And that's all. No, no, not for the real fire. We offer you the bond a family that very few can understand. Help me. Help you. I don't do drugs. Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up, and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Wesley, and I'm here with my older brother, younger sister Iris. And today we're talking about the Shape of Water. <laughs> Shape of Water prequel with a much hotter mermaid. Well, it depends. There's definitely like fetishist types who are into the whole. Or dude. Oh. <laughs> anyway, Splash has newly arrived on the newly arrived Disney Plus. And this is one of those movies that I remember a lot of things about. And some of them, it's not that I don't remember them. It's just that they come back in a different context as an adult. Did we watch the TV edit on Disney Plus? Um, There were definitely edits. I almost turned it off because I'm way past the age and the, the entire world should be way past the age where we're watching anything edited for television. But it's Disney Plus. Don't they have some responsibility to be safe, a safe place for kids? Sure. But I was up against a wall because I couldn't. I guess I could have ordered it uncensored or whatever from Amazon. But but I was lazy. um, We also want to be reviewing films in the form that they're available. No, no, no. We want to discuss films that people are watching, and if people are watching them on Disney+, Plus, shouldn't that be the version we review? I guess so. And people are watching, uh, and people have made note of the uh, Sasquatch butt scene when she runs into the ocean, because that's particularly noticeable. <laughs> the furry butt? Yep. Was that like a post-fur patch, or was that yeah. a practical fur rug that she was wearing nope, on her butt? That was absolutely a, a digital edition for the Disney Plus version. They took care of that all right. 
Was it wasn't supposed it no, to be? It wasn't at all noticeable. Was it supposed to be extensions or was she supposed to have a furry rug butt? Her hair, because of the way she ran, her hair had to stay in place to cover all the bits. <laughs> I definitely noticed the fur butt, but I also noticed that they left some pretty racy jokes in there. Yeah, well, this uh, movie was, was originally produced and distributed by Disney, but under their Buena Vista banner, which was for more adult-themed fare. Uh, along with Buena Vista, we also had Touchstone that Disney owned. I think it was subsequently. But, uh, you know, they can't put the pervy stuff out under the mouse banner, so they created these others. So, But if you want your fix for Salacious Mermaids, definitely check out The Lighthouse. So mermaids, historically, I mean, obviously we talked about the lighthouse and uh, from Pirates of the Caribbean and stuff, which is a different take on altogether on mermaids, on, on fantasy in general. But mermaids were evil, right? They were the sirens. sirens. Are, are mermaids synonymous with sirens in that they lure sailors to their doom? Yeah. Okay. But they were alluring because they were beautiful or whatever, etc. So mermaids... I was trying to pin down when mermaids came about as this sort of fantasy romantic idea that doesn't kill you, you know? So I was looking at mermaid movies and trying to find out where Splash, if it was derivative or what was the case. And actually, it's pretty early in the first mermaid. It may be the first lighthearted sort of take on the mermaid for a feature-length movie ever, because there was Tarzan and the Mermaids, 1948, can hardly be taken seriously, but the main plot was Tarzan falling in love with a mermaid who was forced into marriage with some evil king, leader kind of, kind of guy, and Tarzan saving her. And then Beach Blanket Bingo with Frankie and Annette, 1965, and Lorelei was uh, kind of a an ancillary character. Um, the Little Mermaid is based on... Hans Christian Andersen, and that was like right, and early 19th century. And uh, and Daryl Hannah had said that she grew up loving that book, and apparently had had learned how to swim like that on her own long before they put their prosthetic tail on her. So uh, she was pretty good in her swimming scenes because she had safety divers and things all around her. Um, because she could swim so effectively with that tail and was used to it, she would outpace her safety team. Well, she's also like seven feet tall. Yeah, and she had she has some of the longest legs in Hollywood. That was kind of her claim to fame. I feel like legs were a big thing in the 90s where dudes would be like, legs up to her neck. But I don't think anyone says that anymore. <laughs> Tar- uh, Tarzan and the Mermaids, 1948. Beach Blanket Bingo, 1965. And that's really it. I defy you to find another mermaid. I mean, does the incredible Mr. Limpet count? That's a fish. Yeah, he's a fish man. I don't think that counts. Okay. So basically you're just saying there hadn't been a mermaid comedy. Hadn't been a mermaid comedy. You know what was hilarious? When he said, where are we? We're like Madison and one for She's like, Madison, I like that. And he's like, nobody's named Madison. Yeah. And I was like, everybody is named Madison in 2000. Maybe because as a direct result of this movie. You think so? Supposedly the name skyrocketed in popularity after this. Hmm. Well, she is a very sweet, very endearing character. Yeah. But I I felt like Britney Spears kind of ushered in the the movement or whatever of geographical names. How so? Like after Britney Spears it was like Paris and Madison and Germania, I don't know. Yeah, but Britney Spears doesn't have that kind of name. 
Well, Brittany, Britain. Oh, man. Let's just say that Britney Spears was so far away from Britain in my mind, <laughs> I never made that connection. <laughs> so this movie was a big hit, and Tom Hanks and Daryl Hannah were also big hits. Dar- well, this was kind of an introducing for Daryl Hannah, right? Not Tom Hanks, though. Uh, well, Tom Hanks, uh, Merv Gri- when he went on Merv Griffin to promote this movie, he said, so, your first film. And Tom Hanks kind of nodded it off. He did have one before this, but Daryl Hannah was in Blade Runner, which was definitely before this. But uh, she was only 23 during the, at this point, and Tom Hanks was a little bit older. He was uh, in his late 20s. But, uh, yeah, both big roles for them, for sure. Their characters kind of have an 80s sensibility where they're kind of silly and cartoonish. But even so, Tom Hanks was really great. He was very Tom Hanks. like, And Daryl Hannah had less to work with, perhaps, in her character. She really leaned into the whole innocent alien mermaid thing. But they were both just so sweet and endearing. It was like their characters kind of held up better than the comedy. The comedy felt very, very dated. <laughs> so Tom Hanks you know, given that he was, it, this was one of his early roles, he certainly wasn't a pr- the presence in Hollywood that he is now. But even then, he was calm and cool and funny and quick and 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 bright. And uh, it seems like, like you said, Tom Hanks was just kind of always his own star, even while it was in the making. He definitely stands out. And it's not like you watch this movie and say, oh, he's working on his craft and one day he'll get there. He's pretty much already there for what he's got to work with, right? He could stand up right alongside John Candy, who was known from comedy and from SCTV and stuff. And he can really, he can easily hold his own. Definitely. In his scenes with John Candy, he went toe to toe. His comedy and delivery was just as big, just as effusive, just as fun. I felt like there was some ad-libbing going on in there. It was really, really quite delightful. Yeah, you can always tell when people are really good at what they do, especially at comedy, which is really hard. John Candy, no slouch. So we had that scene where Freddie berates Alan in his office after he finds out that uh, Madison is a mermaid and says, I'll never be that happy. And obviously we know what happens and we lose John Candy at a pretty early age. And it was kind of sad. So his character was kind of tinged with sadness for me. Uh, you know, just obviously he's uh, the comic relief and definitely not a family friendly character. You mean with the penthouse? Yeah. Picking up broads at the bar? Broads. So and and all the coins and stuff, dropping the <laughs> coins. But even as a little kid, it seemed like he was destined, uh, you know, to never change. But he was carrying and obviously I was watching for all the stuff and like, OK, how is Disney going to ruin this experience for me? The penthouse magazine covers were uh, were blurred and I wasn't sure if they were deliberately blurred from the beginning or if they did a really good job blurring them and, and tracking it, you know, on this Disney Plus version. But it does seem strange to me that this would be such an adult uh, a comedy with such adult themes for what is regarded kind of as a kid's movie, right? I mean, on Disney Plus? Yeah, on Disney Plus, very kid-like humor. Slapsticky, almost. And maybe very 80s in that way. The 80s, you know, was the age of the Goonies and Stand By Me, uh, both with, with Corey Feldman, but where kids could uh, could swear and smoke and all kinds of things, and adult humor was just a little bit more accepted. Yeah, it was it was racy, but it was innocent. Like Eddie Murphy stuff, growing up watching Eddie Murphy stuff, there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of adult themes there, but they were all so innocently delivered that they went over my head. 
Yeah, but he was, I mean, no one ever said that Eddie Murphy, at least originally, wasn't raunchy. He had his sort of uh, squeaky clean-er image came later on with stuff like The Nutty Professor. But then again, Bob Saget, host of America's Funniest Home Videos, was always super raunchy. And even Robin Williams is really dirty when he's not in, like, Patch Adams and stuff. His stand early stand-up stuff? Yeah, I feel like stand-up brings that out of them. Yeah, so maybe they just weren't toning it down for, you know, and they released it under the Buena Vista label and stuff. But it's strange now, especially for historical stuff, to censor what what they originally put out in the first place. You know, maybe they figure that Disney Plus is just a platform that they know that tech-savvy kids will go on and kind of choose whatever they want. And not to say that Splash in its day wasn't my first glimpse of some boob action. <laughs> Or a pretty early one anyway. Well, they don't really get it on other than making out. But in context, they get it on all the time. And immediately. It's like the reason he falls in love. Yeah. Right. Which I thought was pretty shocking. She like starts making out with him in the police precinct. And he's like, hi. <sighs> That's her go-to, man. That's her greeting. <laughs> and he totally goes, like 100% goes with it. Is that just a dude thing or was that like an 80s dude thing? I think it's an 80s dude pre-AIDS era thing. But maybe that was kind of the siren thing, right? Like the allure is part of it, even though she's harmless. Yeah, she's harmless and innocent. But that makes it weird in context because they had the the little girl version of her and they had a connection back then, which hopefully didn't have anything to do with macking. I mean, the whole kid connection, them meeting underwater when he was like six, very tenuous how that has any bearing on their adult relationship, that she somehow sought him out. Like, I get the script workings, but kind of unnecessary. You know what's also really unnecessary is her being, like, all coy on the beach and then, like, Sasquatch butt running away. And he's like, where are you going? So she sees him on the beach and then she leaves. And then she goes through all this trouble to find him again. Like, why not just stay? Why did she run away the first time? Because it's part of the allure. Because she's playing hard to get. I don't know. You know what I really liked, liked though, is obviously she runs away and she has the, the Sasquatch butt. And he, you know, looks and then he turns away, kind of dejected. And off in the distance, you see her spring out of the water with her mermaid tail. Yeah. Right? And he missed it. And so I thought, well, that's kind of an interesting effect. So I looked it up. You know, it's, it was a well-done effect for 1984. If it was a digital effect, it was not. Way out there offshore, they had a mechanism underwater with a platform and a stunt lady in a mermaid outfit that was spring-loaded. And it shot her up into the air, out of the water. And she did her little mermaid kick flip and landed in the water. So it's a practical effect out there. No way. Pretty good, though, right? Really good. And his comedy delivery on... The button was great. He's like, there she goes. But Tom Hanks is kind of unmatched, right? I mean, he can do comedy, obviously. that It's where he cut his teeth. And uh, he's really good no matter what. So he can definitely hit his marks, uh, get everything just right. He's really good, and he makes it look really natural. Although his like adolescent performance at the ice skating rink, I, I guess that wasn't really a, an acting thing. It was more of a, a character-as-written thing. Like him getting all pissy and then like stomping around the ice skating rink and like being all passive aggressive. That was just so childish. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was also like tw- in his 20s or whatever. There's, people are stupid. Were 80s people just kind of because I always kind of picture 80s, 80s adults as being more mature than today's adults. Well, obviously, Daryl Hannah's character 
Madison is very childlike and innocent, except that she wants to bang all the time. But his character, even if he was supposed to be 26, is like a businessman and is a, you know, is working. He's not playing video games in his mom's basement. So him to kind of act so childishly seemed more kind of comedy caricature than like a commentary on the 80s adult. You don't even know, man, the pressure of proposing to someone and being like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. It's crushing. The whole idea that you give all the power that you have to somebody else. (laughs) It wasn't the proposal that freaked him out. It was the idea that he would never find true love, which he did in three days. Yeah. So watching this movie and, you know, that performance and stuff, all the ice skating rink stuff and, uh, you know, young people. But I had also forgotten that Ron Howard had directed this film. Really? And that gave me a lot of hope. I was like, oh, and it kind of makes sense. He can make it well-made and well-timed and well-shot and all that stuff, right? Yeah, I mean, you love Ron Howard. Isn't Apollo 13 like one of your favorite movies? Ron Howard's great. But it's a curious thing about this movie. I don't know that comedy is his forte. We had some pretty heavy hitters. Like you said, Daryl Hannah didn't have a lot to work with, given that she didn't really talk for the first good while and we were unraveling the mystery about her. But we also had Eugene Levy, whose entire character was based in comedy. Right. I mean, he was he was ranting and and give me back to shore like the whole time. Uh, His his super paranoid scientist character who then was on a mission. I thought that was they played it through. It was pretty funny in an 80s kind of way. Yeah. But like you said, it was a character. It was cartoonish. Yep. Down to the idea that they would dive into New York Harbor and it would be pristine coral reefs and the sunlight filtering through and shipwrecks and stuff. (laughs) Yeah, I believed Cape Cod, or I, I kind of believed Cape Cod. I was like, geez, Cape Cod's really clean and pretty. But I did not believe the New York Harbor. They were supposed to be like dead bodies and stuff down there. <laughs> Do you know how close, that's that's a legend. You know how close a shipwreck would have to be to the surface for, have to, <laughs> for it to have the, the sunlight streaming in and stuff? Right, exactly. They might, yeah. She might as well, and she pulled the maps off the wall, she might as well have been surrounded by bullion and a pirate with a, with a saber stuck through its chest. <laughs> was that her little house, or was that was just that was just like her human map repository? Uh, no, that was probably her house and where she sings and stuff. And she goes, look at this stuff. Isn't it neat? Nope. That's copyrighted. You can't say that. Wouldn't you think my collection's complete? Wouldn't you but think kind I'm of, a girl? But for a movie that was definitely a comedy across the board, and certainly a romantic comedy, maybe with a twist or a gimmick, some serious themes in this movie. Alan at least spends a good portion of the movie in anguish. And uh, and we have the date looming where she has to return to the sea, the arbitrary date for whatever reason. <laughs> I like that they didn't explain a lot of the mermaid magic. Sure. I'm not sure that they could. They could have and, and still had us hang on there. But I mean, ultimately, he has to leave Freddie forever. And, and, and that's definitely what he wanted and what Kornbluth wanted. But he, I guess, was under the water forever and could never, ever return. It was now going to be a fish man. Why didn't he get his Why didn't he get shoes. a tail? I don't know, because he was never a mermaid. It just worked out. She could be with him and, and above land and he could be with her underwater. Unless something happens to her and then he's toast. And all he had to do was kiss her underwater? Yep. And that was it? That was probably just temporary. Oh, like his gills and stuff would come later? Maybe. Like Pirates of the Caribbean, Will Turner uh, slowly, you know, gets more fishy. (laughs) 
So I think that you're onto something here. It was a little heavy handed or a little ham fisted, but they did deal with some pretty human condition-y kind of stuff. I mean, love, finding true love, what is true love, and choosing between a life that you know and a life that you want with someone you love. Does it pose a question to you? Like, what would you have done? Well, for a guy who fell in love, you know, with half the time the person not even talking and uh, then made out with a fish even after he knew she was a fish and uh, had to make the determination and knew that he was probably never going to see her again when she dived into the water. Still, it's it was kind of emotional when he makes that decision and he does that awkward, horrible jump into the water with the soaring theme or whatever. <laughs> Let's, he just he jumped in with both feet, for lack of a better term. And uh, so I don't know. It definitely doesn't outline how one should go about finding an enduring love. That's beyond all question, right? Well, it's not prescriptive, but it poses a very interesting question. I think it's something that people have to choose in life to go with what they know or to go with something that they, they want to go into the unknown. I believe in love. That should be a song. Do you believe in love? Do you think that there's... Yeah. How many women have I followed to someplace crazy? I mean, Indiana might as well have been underwater. Would you have gone to Indiana if there was no prospect of you ever returning to Los Angeles? No. Is believing in love going in without having to have an out? There's always the hope. Look, you can go down that road entirely, pedal to the metal, chasing the love or whatever, but that doesn't mean you follow it forever. You believe until you don't believe anymore. But you shouldn't let the doubts and the questions hold you back if you firmly believe it at the time. But still, if you're not practical, I can't help you. (laughs) You know what I loved was when he thought that them getting married would somehow nail her down in a way that she could never (laughs) escape. He's like, I'm never losing you again. We have to get married now. He's a New York dude. He doesn't understand mermaid lore. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, yeah, because uh, getting married is certainly going to gonna make sure that you never act like a jerk again. Yeah. I mean, everybody had their, they followed their heart, right? Even Cornbluth came around or whatever and was instrumental. Well, actually, no, he helped get her out. But in terms of slowing them down, slowing the army down or whatever who was chasing them, he wasn't effective at all. He tried. But everybody followed their heart and tried to do what was best. Freddie sacrificed himself so that his brother could get away and have a life that he was never going to be able to live. But come on, Freddie couldn't have tried to escape? Like Freddie just resigned himself to go fishing in the water tank? Yeah, you know what I was thinking would be better for that scene is if they had, you know, dried Madison off and she had got her legs under her again and then kind of fat suited her or puts like big stuff around her so that they could wrap her up and like she would play freddy and come staggering out like holding her head and like run off together you know because they that would have been less suspicious than them carrying a very svelte looking freddy who couldn't walk suspiciously in in the sheet right and at least if everybody came staggering out of the room holding freddy up by the arms with two legs it might have been more believable but, yeah, she know, but I don't mean, but the whole she thing. wouldn't be convincing as a Swedish scientist. But while we're talking about the um, lab shenanigans, why did John Candy talking about Swedish penises get them inside the building? He explained where he got the phrasing from. You're right, right, from penthouse. Right, 
But no, I guess he just made the guy laugh. I don't know. But that is a microcosmic theme for, for a larger discussion, which was how well this movie works. If it was going to be quote unquote serious, do you just wave your hand and dismiss all the things that are patently ridiculous because it's supposed to be funny and lighthearted? I don't know. Like you said, very serious themes, not only emotionally, but you know, with the army getting involved in the science and the fact that they were going to cut her up to examine her. So there were some real stakes and it definitely would have been scary for us as kids, right? I remember feeling the heft of that drama. And, uh, and like I said, being emotional when he finally does that awkward leap off the pier under the helicopter, uh, except for the fact that when he was swimming in the water, it very clearly wasn't Tom Hanks. It wasn't? No. Sorry to ruin it for you. But I struggled with this movie because it seemed like an ambitious movie that was going for broke that didn't, didn't concern itself with credibility of the story. It seemed like a romantic comedy certainly that I was familiar with and have fondness for that had a twist or a flip or whatever mermaid tail phrase you can draw from it. It was not a gimmick movie because it sold the whole premise and there definitely weren't any conveniences aside from the sort of ridiculousness of them being able to escape certain situations. It was a go for broke light premise kind of movie, but it was Otherwise, a relatively inconsequential romantic comedy of an 80s style that we don't really see anymore. So does that historic credibility, the fact that it's, a you know, maybe the first mermaid romantic comedy of its time, certainly not the last. The first literal um, fish out of water. Right. The, the emergence of Tom Hanks, the continuing success of Daryl Hannah, one of the earlier movies of Ron Howard. The evergreen comedy of Eugene Levy. Yeah, and he's still going strong. Does Is that enough for Splash to earn accolades? Well, at the time, at the time it was apparently doing something cutting edge. Yeah, but that's not what we're talking about. Well, what, are you asking if it endures? Yes. I told you I'm reading A.O. Scott's uh, book about criticism, right? Yes. About film criticism. Okay. He thinks that the effectiveness of a reviewer is based on how much a reader trusts the review. And he also thinks that the ultimate effectiveness of a film is its ability to endure. Like he blames critics for being too myopic. Critics only review films within their specific original context. And he says that, you know, how a film endures is what really speaks to its ability to work as a film. But like, how can anyone ever review a film other than in it? in their current context. I'm reviewing it from a standpoint of watching Splash in 2020. I'm going to judge it on if it if it's effective now. And it kind of still is. Well, I like Splash better than I like The Shape of Water, which won for Best Picture. But I struggled this time around because it was fluff and stuff that I liked as a child. I think it was sweet and endearing, and I can definitely appreciate the technical aspects now and the skill and direction and certainly in acting and writing. Um, but I waited to see how much this movie this movie would move me, and it was hard to recapture the magic from when I was a kid. You're not going to give Splash or whatever. No. Splash definitely clears the bar because of its sweetness and tone, because of its comedy, because it didn't take itself too seriously or try to over-explain. And it had some real stakes. So it was just kind of a go for broke. We're all in this and we're going to suspend disbelief because we love it. 
but uh, it definitely had some problems, suffered. It feels dated to me, both thematically and, and, uh, and visually. The Freddy character was less likable because he was such a pig, and his ultimate redemption didn't really change the fact that he was a pig. Yeah, he always he loved his brother. Yeah, and, and a lot of skill involved, but a just barely clearing the bar romantic comedy, even for its twist and its time. So is it a classic? I wouldn't go so far as to call Splash a classic. I think it was a nice diversion and a curiosity that it was a movie made by some real heavyweights uh, back in the day that I have a soft spot for. If it was, wouldn't you have watched it again in the last 30 years? Yeah, that's the thing. That's the thing. Like it's a, um, I'm, I wonder how to classify it because it's... Rom-com with a twist and I've never been able to give those movies that's a free what it pass is. Because, because they're sweet. No, but that's what it is. It's a, it's a rom-com classic. It's not a cinematic classic, but like as a romantic comedy, it is a classic. Okay, I can allow that. And, uh, and stands as a uh, curiosity in history because Tom Hanks never made a rom-com after that with a blonde lady in New York <laughs> multiple times. I have a bone to pick with you. A fish bone? You have unrealistic expectations for films. Every review, you're like, was it perfect? No. Was it the best film ever? Uh-uh. It's like, what is? And why do you I, put those kind why do you put that kind of pressure on films? This is an all right movie. And it's it's on the lower end of all right, but I'm assuming you're giving it a good and not a boring. Yeah. But how good is good? You can't admonish me for my lack of wiggle room when I'm giving it the same credence you are. I'm not talking in terms of ultimate reviews. I'm talking about your existential expectations of films, like in order for them to get a totally, like, a, a film has to be, like, perfect. But we live in an age when perfect movies are very few and far between. No movie is perfect. No movie is perfect, but then you factor in things like watchability and context and, and, uh, and inf- cultural influence and memorability, quotability, uh, the feelings that they inspire. I mean, not many people liked The Peanut Butter Falcon as much as we did. But I felt like that had everything in place, and I remember it fondly for the kind of movie that it was, which wasn't the big, you know, if that movie cost $130 million, I would have thought, "Mm, well, I'm not sure if that was what it set out to achieve. But in its very limited scope, it was hugely successful. Splash was very successful for me as a kid when I was 10 years old. I don't know so much anymore. Stop trying to defend (laughs) rom-coms. My least favorite genre? Yep, mine too. No, musicals. Oh, yeah. So, there you have it. I don't think that mermaids actually eat lobsters that way. In (laughs) fact, I think that they're vegetarian. But nevertheless, I still give Splash a good. And you get an all right from Wes. And that was our talk on The Shape of Water prequel, also known as 1984's Splash. Thank you for listening. We'd love to know what you think. 818-835-0473 or whatever movies at gmail.com. Patreon patrons, we love you. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. 
Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An Electric Cast production. See you there. Electric Cast. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Electrocast. Electric acid.